0: Welcome to the On the Yard podcast powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. I'm your host, Ashley Northington, and I'm here to connect you with the trends, news, and events happening across historically black and minority serving colleges and universities. Tune in each week where we will give you a dose of HBCU leadership and culture, one episode at a time. Hello and welcome to On The Yard. I'm your host, Ashley Northington, and today we're talking with Dr. Sean Huddleston of Martin University. Dr. Huddleston, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure. So let's just go ahead and get right to it. You have this amazing background as a Chief Diversity Officer. Sure. Tell to me about how you, what your path to the presidency was, how did you go from CEO to CEO?
1: Yeah, thank you for the question. So. I actually started uh, my journey in diversity, equity, and inclusion when I worked in corporate America. I worked in the automotive industry uh, in supplier diversity. So I was assisting minority-owned businesses with gaining access to opportunities as vendors uh, for our organizations. And then I came to realize that uh, the people who are making the decisions on who we would select as vendors needed to be as diverse or thinking as uh, diversely as we would need to be able to get those opportunities. So I kind of broadened my perspective in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then I started doing training uh, in that space. Uh, I uh, wound up uh, doing some training for Cornell University in their their Certified Diversity Professional Program, and that's what got me into higher education. As I moved up into the Chief Diversity Officer role, I had an opportunity to sit uh, on the president's cabinet uh, with the two universities in which I served in that capacity. And so in that respect, I was able to uh, help lead the institution as an executive who just had a focus and experience in diversity, equity, inclusion. So it exposed me to fundraising, to shared governance, uh, to all the things that presidents uh, need to be held accountable for. And then an opportunity came up at Martin University, Indiana's only predominantly black institution of higher education. And I recognized that my background in helping to support students uh, from um, underrepresented, underserved, and underestimated backgrounds uh, would be uh, an asset to the world. Mm
0: -hmm. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk around issues around diversity and equity and inclusion, belonging. Uh, and justice, those things have come into focus recently. Can you talk a little bit about the how HBCUs um, and PBIs have always fostered that sense of belonging? And then can you share a little bit about what that belonging looks like, how it manifests itself at Martin University? Sure,
1: sure. And I'm glad to use all the terms as a matter of fact. Lately, I've been just calling it DEI plus Mm -hmm. because there are so many things that can be added to the fundamental focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So uh, predominantly black colleges, HBCUs, and I would argue other minority service institutions have truly always had a focus and a reach into diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, It's not lost on many people, especially those of us who work at these institutions, elite institutions, that we have our own levels of diversity, equity, and inclusion that we have to uh, deal with. For example, at my university, we have gender diversity, we have generational diversity, um, we have uh, thought diversity, we have a variety of background, socioeconomic economic status, things of that nature, um, that require us to be able to meet students where they are, and fundamentally, that is what minority-serving institutions, particularly HBCUs and PBIs, are always expected to we're expected to do that and it's in our mission so meeting a person where they are and helping to create the conditions of success for them very in a very customized way is really what diversity equity and inclusion is all about it's about allowing someone to bring the richness of their experiences their cultural identity their background their norms to the forefront of their education for the benefit of the institution and for their journey through that institution. Mm -hmm. So we've always been uh, encircled our institutions around that fundamental idea. Mm -hmm. At Martin University, as I mentioned before, it is really a core part of who we are. Um, We have always served uh, mainly adult returning students. Those students come with a lot of aspects of their backgrounds and identities um, that may have, in some uh, cases, interrupted uh, their educational journey at a time. In other cases, uh, it may be a new journey for them. And so our role is to help them to uh, build the confidence and certainly uh, build the opportunity and the access to be able to move forward. To be able to do that, we have to understand the individual, we have to understand the motivations, we have to understand all of the things um, that they bring to the table and all of the things that their um, classmates would bring so that we can truly help support them. And So uh, Martin has been focused on that. We've also been focused on using that same idea in training and educating and working with our external community mm-hmm. through our National Center for Racial Equity and Inclusion. And so it's, we take an in-reach and an outreach approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So tell me a little bit about
0: this. Does Martin have a, a CDO, Chief Diversity Officer role? And how might that role, since HBCUs, PPI, Minority serving Institutions have always you know, been focused on this, how might a CDO role look different at an HBCU than it would at another
1: institution? That's a really good question. Um, We do not have a person who is named as our Chief Diversity Officer, and to be very honest with you, because I was a former Chief Diversity Officer, my standards are very high uh, in that space. And so um, I actually bring that background to the position, Um, and so I kind of serve as our institution's Chief Diversity Officer for now. Mm -hmm. Our Executive Director of our National Center for Racial Equity and Inclusion really does a lot of the work in that regard and kind of brings the practices. Uh, to front for us, um, and he will likely be someone where that role will likely be able to take uh, that position to the front. But what I've said uh, when I've had that role is that the chief diversity, the chief diversity officer's job is not to own DEI work, correct, but to franchise it and make good owners of everyone. And so at Martin University, we've done just that. So everyone at the institution has a role to play in helping to lead our efforts in diversity, equity, inclusion for our our students internally, as well as for our community externally. Um, we do have certain people um, who have uh, more of a focus on the effort. Um, so it's kind of an all in thing. But as the president of the university, because it's so critically important, I've elected to take on that role as well.
0: So it talked to me a little bit about this. I want to just dig into that a little bit deeper. So sometimes you often hear if it's everybody's job, it's nobody's job. That's right. So, how have you been able to implement like shared equity leadership? as you know across campus how do you make sure that it's everybody's role and that they are actively doing something yeah so uh,
1: there's a couple of things first and foremost oftentimes with dei plus work when you bring that to a campus uh, and begin to disseminate the work across the campus some people look at it as more food on the plate right mm-hmm. just another thing that they have to focus on i've always tried to look at it and help to position it as not more food on the plate but more seasoning on the food that's already there. You do that by making sure that you are incorporating diversity, equity, and inclusion goals and strategies in all of the goals and strategies of the university. And so, for example, if you have a strategic plan, it's certainly okay to have a separate focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, but in every single goal, there ought to be a diversity, equity, and inclusion dimension within that goal. And so helping people understand how dei can benefit every single aspect of the institution and how they will help them to achieve the goals of the university is where it falls and so certainly you want to add it to the metrics and make sure that those metrics are aligned with the overall goals of the institution
0: talk to me a little bit about this this center that you started tell me what made you decide to start the center what is it about tell me a little bit more about sure, it sure very
1: very exciting we launched it a little bit over a year ago and um, it was somewhat in response to uh, the public outcry around george floyd um, which had been brewing over a number of years and certainly we know that george floyd is simply one of of many um, cases that got us to to where we have been as a country and so um, i kept getting calls uh, from organizations in and around our city uh, and really well-meaning saying we want to do more than just make a statement we want to have some action that we put in place. And can you help us figure that out? And so as we we continue to get those calls, came to realize that we probably needed to really put our heads together and think about a very concerted effort to do this broadly. And so this idea of creating uh, the Center for Racial Equity and Inclusion in Martin University was born. The thought was twofold. One is that we would assist businesses, organizations, and other individuals in helping to develop sustainable practices around diversity, equity, inclusion within their institutions and organizations that would help progress that organization broadly. Secondly, we would focus on bringing all of the different efforts around diversity, equity, inclusion in a variety of spaces, health equity, educational equity, um, home ownership, uh, wealth gap uh, closure, things of that nature. We wanted to coalesce all those things And so it was less of several different threads working, but a fabric all working together. And we thought the center would be able to do that. And then as the idea came forward, we decided that we would change the name and make it the National Center for Racial Equity and Inclusion. Because we believed that by doing both of those things together, we'd be able to set a standard nationally that others might want to follow and learn from.
0: I love that, so that will it would be a profit center too for the institution as well. That's smart thinking, that's yeah, great. We gotta diversify
1: revenue, <laughs> and these days, you have to find every way possible to diversify revenue for the institution.
0: That's great. So, you know, I, I, I wanna stick with this thread on diversity. I promise I'm gonna ask you some different questions, sure. but there has been a lot of conversation um, in sort of presidential leadership circles around what is the best role to have first before becoming a president. So some folks take the student affairs route. Mm-hmm. Some folks take you know the straight academic route. Well now there's this conversation like, is the CDO pathway an appropriate track to the presidency? what are your thoughts on that of course you're going to say yes absolutely but do do you see that sort of happening what are you seeing it sort of what are your thoughts
1: around it so i think the answer you already said i think it's yes it's appropriate because chief diversity officers really work in every area of the institution they work with academics to make sure that the offerings in the classroom experience is inclusive and welcoming Uh, They work with enrollment to make sure that we are attracting and retaining a very diverse and inclusive student body. We work with human resources and administration to do the same thing with faculty and staff. We work with uh, institutional advancement and fundraising to make sure that we're helping them bring dollars in. So there's a whole variety of things. And, and oftentimes if you're a chief diversity officer and you're on a cabinet, then you have some interactions with the board of trustees as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really does expose you to every area of the institution. With that, I would say that um, there always can be multiple paths to the presidency. It really depends, in my opinion, on what the needs are of the institution that is seeking A president Um, in some cases there are institutions that uh, really uh, have a strong focus on needing to um, shore up the academic enterprise that is something that is um, needed and and wanted and I think that someone coming through the faculty ranks or the academic ranks will be perfect for that role in other cases it is shoring up the enterprise as a whole because colleges and universities are businesses and so sometimes that requires someone who has never worked in higher education but has been very successful in business. Uh, so I think it really just depends on the needs of the institution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what would
0: you say, as you look across the this landscape of, of higher education, what would you say the biggest challenge facing, you know, minority-serving institutions generally and the biggest challenge facing Martin University specifically?
1: they're they're almost one and the same, Mm -hmm. right? And and there's uh, a few challenges, right? One um, is uh, viability and relevance, right? Um, There are some who would uh, believe that because predominantly white institutions have efforts to become more welcoming and more diverse, that we don't have a problem with students of color finding their sense of belonging at predominantly white campuses which couldn't be further from the truth, Correct. right? And so um, I think we are constantly in this battle of uh, being able to demonstrate and recreate and reinforce our value proposition, right? Which um, it goes to relevance, right? Viability is the second thing. Um, most minority serving institutions um, are really kind of woefully under-resourced. Um, mm-hmm. And that's from the federal level to on down. Martin University is a private institution. And so we don't have the um, opportunity to benefit from a state appropriation as some of our, uh, our, our partner institutions and, um, and, and colleagues in the state. And so because we are a tuition-dependent institution um, who also needs to make sure that we are an affordable institution because 90% of our students uh, identify as low-income. Mm -hmm. Um, we have to strike that balance all the time. And sometimes it has us making choices that other institutions don't have to make. Mm -hmm. And so um, I would say that is probably one of the biggest challenges that we have. We all um, are faced with the enrollment cliff and challenges with declining enrollment. Mm -hmm. um, And um, people really believing that college is still of value uh, and something that uh, would be beneficial. Um, so we, we fight, as minority-serving institutions, we fight um, the uh, messages that are out there, um, the broad messages that say you don't need a college degree mm-hmm. to be successful. You can go and get a certification, but if you look at the data and show African Americans with a certification and no college degree don't do as well right. as their white counterparts with no t- certification mm-hmm. and, a, and no college degree and so those differential outcomes is something that we continue to have to fight for as well
0: so if you could make one change at, at the federal level you know that you think would support martin university what would that change be or the federal government by asking another way if the federal government can make one change
1: to support you what would that be i'm so glad you asked for this question because i'm loaded up for this So, so, uh, I want to start by saying that there's a difference between HBCUs and PBIs, or predominantly black institutions, and that's based on the year we were founded. HBCUs founded in 1964, or before 1964, PBIs founded after. The federal uh, requirements to receive funding for PBIs are far stricter than any other minority serving designation. We are the only institution that in addition to having the majority of our students identify um, in the identity of which we serve. And so for us, the majority of our students have to be black. Mm -hmm. Um, So at least 40% of our students have to be black. 50% of our students have to be low income. And that also falls with some of the other um, uh, minority serving designations to be eligible. But the third one is one that no other institution has to deal with. And that is that we have to have at least 1,000 students enrolled at our institution's duplicated income, for us to be eligible for federal funding, which, by the way, is the lowest appropriation of any minority-serving institution. So we have to do more than any other institution to get less than any other institution gets. And so if the federal government could do anything, it would be to at least remove the barrier of 1,000 students because many of us... Um, my uh, predominantly black institutions that have limited resources are having difficulty meeting that thousand student requirement, especially as enrollment continues to decline. Or, I'm sorry, enrollment yeah. continues to decline. And so, we are dealing with the most vulnerable uh, and the most low income students of them all. And so, those students are then forced to make choices with the limited resources that we have and we're not getting any other assistance and we have to jump through a different hoop to be able to get that assistance so that would be my prayer is that uh, they would at least bring equity to the eligibility of minority serving institutions and not continue to force predominantly black institutions to jump through another hoop that others are required to. man that is the definition of
0: inequity making the people who are marginalized do more work that is exactly. just oh yeah. my goodness that's something that we, could, we can we can talk about a, a little more offline. I sure. Yeah. So I have three more questions okay. that, you know, two of them are designed to get to know you just a little bit better. Okay. okay? So my first question is, what activity or practice keeps you grounded?
1: You know, um, it, it, personally or professional? Both. You know, it is uh, the, the best, I think for me, uh, both personally and professionally, is connectivity, right? Staying connected, I'm a relationship builder. I'm a person who believes um, in the real strong value of human connections, interactions, relationships, and that we all have a responsibility to pour into other people. And so there are times when um, my job can get somewhat bureaucratic, there are times when they become very, very administrative uh, when I have the opportunity to sit down with someone uh, and, and affect their life in a positive way uh, and feel that, and feel that from them, then that keeps me going. I often say that from our University, if you ever want to understand our why, just come to one of our commencement exercises. When you see us have students coming across the stage and their children are walking up to the front of the stage to shout and congratulate them, when they are the first person in their family to not just go to college but get through college, and their whole family is there because they rooted them on the entire way, that really is stirring to me. That stirs my emotions in my heart. So knowing that we connected and changed somebody's life, even if it's just one person, I'll do that. I'll take that every day. I'll take that every day. I love that. That's... Really beautiful, really, really beautiful.
0: What is the best leadership or life advice you've ever received?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, fact, I just talked about this earlier. I worked uh, at Steelcase Corporation in Grand Rapids, Michigan, mm-hmm. and I worked for uh, the CEO of the company was a, a guy by the name of Jim Hackett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim went on to be very, very successful in business and, and in life and other things. Uh, But Jim said to me in my interview um, that uh, his uh, best leadership advice to anybody is that good leaders make way and then get out of the way. And that has been uh, really something that I've tried to model and certainly embrace in my own leadership. And so I surround myself with phenomenal, well-skilled people who understand the mission, who embrace the vision, and I'm not prescriptive with them. I just tell them where the destination is and give them full authority and autonomy to be able to find the best path to get us to that uh,
0: that, that destination. That's great, that, that's, that's really good. So here is the opportunity for you to tell us all the amazingness, okay? So if there was one thing that you wish more people knew about Martin University, What would that one thing be?
1: Sure. Well, I'm thrilled that uh, predominantly black institutions are being invited to the conversation with HBCUs because we are really siblings, right? And so I'm really thrilled about that. Um, For Martin University, being Indiana's only predominantly black institution of of higher education, who has always focused on the non-traditional and returning adult student, um, we've done some really interesting and exciting things in recent years. Uh, One is we established a program called our Martin Works Program that essentially converts Martin to becoming one of our country's um, urban work colleges. The Urban Work College is a concept that was actually uh, pioneered by Paul Quinn College in Dallas, Texas under the great leadership uh, of President Sorrell there. And so Martin joined that effort. And so now we um, embed apprenticeships into our academic programs with major employers. So our students are able to gain experience, but also get paid for gaining that experience as they're uh, completing their degree. We are the only urban work college in the United States that is focused on non-traditional and adult students because they bring some work experience with them. Mm-hmm. And so much of the concern about uh, developing soft skills and things of that uh, of that nature are really already done when many of our students come, if it's not, then we send them through an academy to make sure that they have them when they get to the table. And so um, we are very focused on um, people getting becoming good employers or good employees, right? So students who decide that they want to be an entrepreneur, we want to help put them in that position. But others who have found a career path, we want to make sure they get connected. Um, We don't have a significant amount of degree programs. All of our degree programs are targeted to what we call family-sustaining career opportunities. So these are uh, uh, careers that are in high demand and pay a median to high high wage. Mm -hmm. We align with those areas. And so you won't come to my University and find 30 degree programs. You'll find nine or ten based on jobs and careers that are in demand and need diversity and equity. Mm-hmm. So, I know I said this was my last question, but
0: I need to double click on this, something sure. you just said. There is an academy that helps impl- potential, you know, future employees gain soft skills. Absolutely. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, our Martin Works
1: Academy is an eight-week, we'll call it a boot camp, before any student can actually go and start their apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. And we, it is an academy that was designed by human resource okay. professionals at major corporations. Uh, and other employers who told us what they need our students to know to be able to hit the ground running when they come to their apprenticeship. And so we work on that, not only just their soft skills in the the work environment, we also do financial literacy and education for them. Uh, We've partnered with a number of other organizations to make sure that if any other services that they need uh, that would um, provide them with opportunities to move barriers out the way so they can be successful, In that job, we we embed that into our academy. So it is a way for us to be able to ensure that our students find their footing when they get to that apprenticeship. We have a great um, etiquette um, dinner that we do. And and most people, when you think of the etiquette dinner, you think of this is going to teach you which fork to use or um, when to put your napkin down, things of that nature. But we use it for business etiquette so we talk about things like um, email etiquette we talk about um, how when when you hear something that doesn't sit well with you in a meeting um, how you might posture yourself appropriately so there's all kinds of things that we do to make sure that when they get to that environment they understand what the culture is around uh, that employer you should
0: sell that program <laughs> to institutions nationwide. Listen, that's my idea. So if, if, if you do it, you know, just shout me out. We will definitely <laughs> make
1: sure we cite you and give you plenty of
0: credit. Because everybody needs that, you know. It's not often, you know, we encounter, I encounter a lot of young people, and it's not that they don't have the skills to do the specific task. Is that they don't necessarily have the skills around no work yeah like it's a it's it's a mindset about work that some people are lacking so this eight-week training program is martin works that's and, what's called? And, and yep
1: it's the martin works academy before they go in martin works and i'll tell you that Ooh, you know honestly it was a great uh lesson learned that was shared with us from other work colleges in particular from Paul quinn as they moved through theirs um it was just one of one of the uh pieces of intel that they shared that we took into account as we were designing our program. That's amazing. That is incredible.
0: Well, folks, you've heard a lot about Martin University. We've learned so many amazing things. Um, Please do uh, look them up online and stay in touch. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you again. This was outstanding. This is great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of On the Yard, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. R.W. Jones is the nation's only strategic communications and issues management firm explicitly focused on higher education, serving more than 50 colleges and universities nationwide. Check back for next week's episode of On the Yard, where we'll give you another dose of HBCU leadership and culture.